34 today. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to that. I am coming from the ESV this morning. Um, I actually, out of all the Bible translations, I like the ESV. Um, the NIV is the one I normally use because it's a bit easier to understand. But what I've noticed with Bible translations that are easier to understand, they are not as rich in the words that carry meaning. Yeah. And so for, for me who preaches and who reads through, uh, sometimes there are words that are simplified and in their simplification, they lose some of the power that they should have in the text that we read. And so Psalm 34, I love this, it says, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, what, what does that mean? That refers to when he went to Abimelech the king, and because the king was a Philistine king, I think it was Philistine, um, David pretended to be mad. He's written a psalm here from when he pretended to be mad. Wow. Anybody else written a psalm when they were mad? Well, I'll tell you. Have a go. It actually says when you read the text in the Old Testament, he, had, he allowed dribble to go down his beard and he, and he ran to the walls and the doors and he made scribblings and markings on them so they thought he was completely nuts. Um, but this is the psalm that came out of that and it's a phenomenal psalm. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongues from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, 
none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. What an amazing psalm, written while pretending to be mad. I just, I just find that absolutely amazing. And there are so many touch points within it. But what I really wanted to focus on as we go through this a little bit is that we kind of think Christianity in church is about finding how to do things, about process. And there is truth to that, but it's not just about process, it's about relationship. And I really want to highlight that because churches over the years have developed their rituals. You know, depending on what church you go today, depends what happens. The guy might have robes on, yeah. Um, you might have Eucharist or, or whatever. There might be certain rituals that go. And over the years, people have become accustomed to knowing God is doing a ritual. But it's not. Knowing a family member has nothing to do with ritual. You may make coffee every morning, but it's not about ritual. It's not about a process. It's about a relationship. And a relationship has totally different dynamics. One of the questions that kind of certainly been going around in my heart and mind is we have this whole healing weekend and, you know, we prayed for people and saw them healed and we prayed for Ralph and he died. And I kind of think, well, Lord, how does that work? And God said to me, it's not about a ritual. It's not about the same fixed thing comes out all the time. It's to do with relationship and no relationship is exactly the same. We're all unique. If we were all best buddies with each other, even our best buddy relationship with each other would be different from one person to another because we're unique. And we kind of think, well, you know, if I pray for somebody who's sick, I have to say these kind of words. And you see people do it. Oh, I have to say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and then it will work. Or I have to rebuke it. Or I have to. And there are some elements of truth within that. But ultimately, God operates on relationship. And even though he operates on relationship, there are some instances like with Ralph where God says, well, thanks very much for praying for him, Simon, but I want him to be with me. Oh. And the highlight is, it's to do with how we walk with Jesus, not what we do for Jesus. I was reading a book this week and the guy said, if you look through the history of Christianity in the Old and the New Testaments, you'll find those who lost their way, lost their way when they decided to serve God rather than love God. It's not about serving God. You know, there's a real difference between serving somebody and loving somebody. And if you love somebody, service automatically comes. But if you serve somebody, you can lose your focus. There are many Christians who started out loving God and in loving God they started some social project only over time to kind of have God push to the side and totally focus on the social project. God is looking for people who have a relationship with him. 
the answer to the question, what must I do, is always answered by no God. There's a lot of talk at the moment, certainly online, about artificial intelligence. Anybody heard some chatter about artificial intelligence? Yeah, a few of us. And these things now do amazing things. They kind of mimic human responses when you type stuff in. It's all about kind of those responses. And what people are really liking is the artificial intelligence looks like it's giving them all the answers they need. But you know what? There is a God intelligence. And when we are rightly related to God, we have access to the mind of Christ. We have access to all the wisdom of God. In fact, as Christians, we should never really fail if we are connected to God because he will always guide us in the right way. The challenge is that God often does things in ways we're not too happy about. You listen to, to Eddie's testimony this morning. Yes, God, I will share anything you give me to share. Why do you want me to do it in a crowded waiting room? You know, we, we kind of want it on our terms that we communicate and we do those things, but God is different. If you have ever dealt with God and money, you will know what I'm talking about. God does not give you what you need two months before, a month before. He may give it you 10 seconds before you need it. And you're kind of thinking, man, where's that coming? God does the miracle. But God works in his ways and through our relationship with him, part of the process of discipleship that Jesus did with his disciples was to help them to unlearn the ways of the world because the world is anti-faith. I could cite finance again. Why do we have banks? There's a really good question. Why do we have banks? So we can hoard up what we earn. But God's principle is be generous. If somebody doesn't have, you give. Why? Because when you don't have, they will give. You don't need to worry about it. The kingdom of God operated on that God supplies, and, it's, and it says, Paul says, that he might give you a whole load of money right now so that you can help a whole load of people who are in financial difficulty. And then when you don't have money, they will supply your need. It kind of demonstrates this family relationship. But the world, oh no, we've got to hoard it up. And the thing is, if we are to walk with God and to hear God and know God, we need to walk with him in a way that he wants us to walk with him. And that takes some time to learn. It's not an overnight process. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, that was his goal. His whole focus on life is, I want to know Christ. And let me tell you, knowing about him is not good enough. We want to know who he is in a personal relationship with him. Psalm 34 verse 5 say, you know, talks about looking to him and being radiant. Well, you can only do that if you know him. You can only look to Jesus if he is with you. And then it says, if you do that, you will be radiant. Seeking God 
always leads to finding him. It says in verse 10, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You know, that's a reminder of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I will lack nothing or I shall not want. If the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. And when we seek him, we'll find him. Jeremiah 29, 13, uh, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And there's the key. Very often, we don't want to forsake everything else and say, God is all I want. We want both. You know, you can have the riches of the world, you can have the fame of the world, you can have everything the world has to offer, but you won't at the same time be able to have God. Because the principles at work in the world are opposite to the principles at work with God. And so you've got to choose which which one you want to have, but the challenge comes that we kind of want both and we have a foot in each and and we're actually, we're not enjoying the world because we kind of feel a bit guilty, but we're not enjoying God because we're still stuck in the world and we have to choose who we will serve. Once we know Jesus, if you've made a decision to know Jesus, if you've made a decision to follow him, then what follows that decision is a journey that will change your life. But that journey will include many decisions that you have to make that are difficult that the world will tell you is crazy. Back in the, uh, this will show my age, but back in the, the late 80s, early 90s, God called me into full-time ministry, and at that time, I just qualified as a design draftsman. I was a design engineer, and my future looked good, and finance was good, and everything, and God says, leave all this and do that. And you know what? Half the Christians said, what you're doing is insane. And I said, well, it's only insane if it's not God. And here I am, 30 years later plus, and God has led me every step of the way. And in verse 11 it says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. If we walk with Jesus, he will teach us how to live. You know, we will often have this small voice. Let me give you an example. You might call it your conscience. Sometimes it will be. But there'll be moments when, you know, I'll talk from being at home. So I got up this morning and Jocelyn was in the shower and I thought, oh, I'll just sit there. And this little voice said, well, why don't you make the coffee? I thought, well, because Jocelyn will do it if I just sit here. <laughs> and the little voice will say, no, you go and make the coffee. So I went down, made the coffee, and then the water filter was out of water. And the voice said, well, why don't you fill up the water filter? And then the toilet roll holder was empty. I thought, man, I just want to sit here. (laughs) The thing is, when we walk with Jesus, we will have a thousand of those thoughts a day that will tell us to do the right thing. Do this. Do that. Say this. And you say, well, what's the benefit? The benefit is that you do that long enough and it becomes part of who you are. As we practice those things, 
Because let's be honest, going the path of least resistance is the easiest path, but it is the least fruitful. It doesn't produce anything in us. It doesn't help anything. In 2 Kings 18.21, we have this amazing story of a prophet of God called Elijah. Elijah, he was some cool dude. I mean, he did some amazing miracles. But the situation is that King Ahab, who was a very evil king, and evil here means that he did not want to follow God. He did everything that was opposite to God. And he was goaded on by his wife Jezebel. And Jezebel, at that point in time when Elijah was alive, she was murdering all of those who followed God. So he was a prophet in that context. And the thing is, because Ahab and Jezebel were so bad, the people had become bad also because they followed their leaders. In the midst of that, God speaks to Elijah, says, go and do various things. And Elijah goes on a mountain with all of God's people, with all of the Israelites, with Ahab there, all the prophets of Baal. He's there on his own. And he makes this statement. He says to the people, how long... Will you waver between two opinions? If God is the Lord, follow him. And if Baal is the Lord, follow him. Now, for Baal, Baal was a, a, a god that the nations worship. But for Baal this morning, we can insert whatever there is that is pulling us away from God. Could be your career. Could be worldly wisdom. It could be relationships. Whatever it is that is pulling you away from God. And God says, how long will you waver between these opinions? If I am God, listen to me and follow me. But if you want this other thing, then go and do that. And you know, here's the thing. God will never, ever coerce you. But what happens is you lose that voice and that blessing of God to help you to walk through it. My experience says this, our battle is not with the world, it's not with Satan, but it is with ourselves and our wants and our desires. I mean, this is, this is what, what we're told in the New Testament, that we, we battle when our desires want something other than God. I mean, on a really simple thing, we all know we should exercise and go out, but sometimes that uh, uh, Cadbury's chocolate bar is just too tempting. And it's not the devil made me do it. It's, hey, we want it. And so we, we kind of walk through, and, and the important thing is we keep coming back to this relationship with Jesus. There's another guy in the Old Testament called Job. Have you heard of Job? <coughs> Job was another amazing guy. And Job's story in a nutshell is that Satan is talking to God. Don't talk me about the logistics here um, and the practicalities, but there's this conversation that goes on. And God says, have you seen my servant Job? He is um, what's it, blameless and upright and he fears me and he turns from evil. There was no one like him in the land. Now, Long story short, the devil is allowed to remove everything that Job has from his family to his wealth and to strike him with sickness. And in that whole process, Job never once calls God evil. But he does, for 36 chapters, moan. 
And if you go through, for 36 chapters, he's kind of talking about how badly he's been treated and that uh, he wants to see God. But here's the thing. The whole story with Job highlights one very simple thing, that Job was an extremely religious man who did the right thing, but he didn't actually know God. Because right at the very end, when you look at uh, Job 41, Job says this, I had heard of you, but now I have seen you, and I despise myself, and I repent in dust, cloth, and ashes. You see, very often religion can be about hearing things and what other people say, but what we need is we need to encounter God. We need to see him. My life when I was 16 changed because I encountered God. At the age of 16, I had an encounter with God that convicted me of sin, and it wasn't a split-second thing. It lasted for two hours, and I, I was kind of dangled over, I'm going to hell. And God, in the midst of that, says, if you will turn to me, I will change your life. That's the thing I keep going back to when things go difficult. That, that was the, the moment. And through the years, I've had other of those touch points. And when I read my Bible in the morning, when I pray, even sitting there this morning asking God about what we're doing today, there is that connection with Jesus. And what I've realized is those Christians who make it are the Christians who have that relationship. Those Christians who don't are those who are following a religion. And what God wants us to have is he wants us to have a relationship with him. Knowing about God is the same as reading a pizza recipe. But knowing God is like eating the pizza. And which would you rather do? Read the recipe. Wow, that's amazing. That must be really tasty. That looks lovely. Look at the photo. I'd much prefer the knock on the door and there's Domino's and I open the box and the smell wafts out and go, woohoo! You know, that's what God wants you to enjoy the pizza. He doesn't want you to go around all of your life saying to people, wow, look at this amazing recipe that I've got. Come and look at it with me. And they go, wow, that's really good. Can I have a copy? And they're telling everybody how good it is, but nobody's eating it. God wants us to eat the pizza. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to, because the thing is this, once we experience how loving and good and gracious God is, we will bust a gut to follow him. God is not capricious. God doesn't um, take joy in hurting people. or God does none of that. God is constantly looking at things that will restore our relationship with him. He wants a people who know him. God wants you to know him personally. He wants that today. If you don't know him today, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a short while, but right here, right now, he wants you to know him. He won't force you. You know, we can spend our whole lives chasing after other things. If, if, you're, if you're married with children or if you've been part of a family, one of the things you'll realize really quick, it is so easy to spend your whole life on superficial things. 
My wife and I can spend the whole day talking about new uniform. My son has somehow managed to get a hole in his jumper. Um, you know, we can talk about all of those things. Oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. Don't forget this. How many of you have got hectic, busy lives and your whole life can be jumping from one to do thing to the other. And when you ask yourself the question, when was the last time you had a conversation with your husband or your wife or your family members that was not about work, but just about how are you? How are things going? How are things doing? And you realize those conversations happen quite rarely because they're so busy. I know God is always there. He's always waiting. God is always waiting for you to come to him. He will not force you. He will not push you. He's always there waiting. And we are running around like headless chicken. Well, let me do this first and let me do that. And then I've got to do this and then I've got to do that. And then worse still, people say, well, before I sit down and really get to know God, I've got to sort my life out. And I'm thinking that's like saying before I go to the hospital, I've got to get myself well. He is there to help you through. And I, I honestly believe as, as life in the UK is getting harder, it's not getting easier, it's getting harder, <coughs> from financial crises to whatever else, I think those who are going to make through this time period are going to be those who know their God. And I mean know him, not know about him, I mean know him. Zoe, can you pass me the water there, please? Here's something that I thought was, was really, um, pardon me a moment, that really kind of uh, hit me as I was reading and preparing this week. If you look at Genesis 1, Genesis 1 is about God creating a people, but he creates a people that he can have a relationship and walk through the garden with. Think about that for a moment. You know, Adam and Eve, when God had created them, God would come in the evening in paradise and he would walk with them. That was their relationship. That was what they were created for, to know this amazing God and to walk with him, but they ruined it through other stuff. The Israelites. The Israelites were a people group who were rejected by everybody whom God chose to be his people that he could dwell in the midst of. He wanted to be with them. I mean, the tabernacle they had and the temple were just a representation that God lived in the midst of his people. And then we fast forward to Jesus and Jesus became the sacrifice of God. Why? so that we could have God dwell in us. That we could have God in us all the time in a relationship where we could hear him speaking to us day by day and leading us day by day, moment by moment. He didn't call us so that we could have a whole load of um, rituals that are religious. And so the big challenge of the message this morning is it's time to come home. It's time to make a decision if you're wavering to thinking, uh, and, and it's not easy. And that decision is, let me tell you, it's not a one-off decision because there will be other things that come that will tempt you to kind of go away from God, that they'll always come. 
but he is here waiting. He's been waiting here and he continues to wait for people to turn to him and it means that we need to put our relationship right. Now, I'm not saying that that means we've all got bad relationships with God, we don't know God, but there is something more and something deeper. Something that was really clear last year from a group within the church was that we want to know God more. That's why we did the prayer of fasting at the beginning of the year. We want to know God more. And if I was to ask you how many of you, along with me, struggle giving good time to God, we'd probably all put our hands up. Where do I find the time? Well, actually, if I really want to, I can. I've just got to say no to some other things. There was an American preacher, John Piper, and he's quite well known. He's retired now. But more in his heyday, when he was more well known, um, it kind of came out that he didn't have a TV. And so in one of the interviews, they said to him, why don't you have a TV? Expecting him to say, I'm not going to have the devil's box in my house. But he didn't say that. What he said was this. My family and I sat down and asked ourselves, what do we want to do with our time? And we made a list of the things that we wanted to do. And we realized that if we wanted to do those things, we couldn't also watch the TV. So we decided not to have one. Which I thought, wow, that's an amazing answer. And we've got to make a decision. I've noticed that if we don't intentionally decide to know God, what we will end up doing is defaulting to just sitting in front of the TV or doing the things that are not good for us spiritually. And so it's about an intentionality. It's about saying, I'm going to choose to walk with Jesus every day. I'm going to get up 10, 15 minutes earlier in the morning so that I can sit and start to get to know God. And some days will be dry. You'll think, what was that about? Other days you think, wow, I don't want to come out of this. But I, can, I will guarantee you that if you do this on a daily basis, you will have more and more days where God speaks to you and it becomes a precious thing that you don't want to change. I remember first when I started, part of the thing I was taught as a new believer was to read my Bible, to read it through in a year. And I've done that nearly every year, probably for the past 30 plus years. And on some years, I've really struggled with it. But I found as time has gone on, as it's gone on, it's become easier and easier, except the book of Numbers. That's never easy. This morning was about um, each leader of the tribe of Israel giving, I don't know, so many bowls of gold and so many. And then it repeats exactly the same thing for all 12 leaders. Why they couldn't have said these 12 guys all gave the same thing and that would have saved me 89 verses. <laughs> anyway, that was an aside. But I find that when I spend the time with God consistently, it gets better. It's one of the things I love about my marriage to Jocelyn. It gets better every year. I, mean, I, I, I don't understand how people want to go off with somebody else. You've got to start again. You know, Joss and I, we've put blood, sweat and tears into our relationship. We've had arguments, this, that and the other. And, and we've grown closer and we love one another more. And, and, and every year it gets better. And you know, with God, it gets better every year. 
He will show you a bit more of himself and a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. He will supply. And here's the thing. It leads me all the way back to the beginning about it not being a process, but it being a relationship. The thing is, God will do things for people that he knows that he won't do for people he doesn't. That might sound really, really bad, but actually, God looks after those who love him and whom he loves. King David committed far worse sins than King Saul, but he was forgiven all of those. And that's because Saul didn't have the relationship with God. He neglected his relationship with God and he wanted his relationship with people and therefore he fell from grace. Whereas David, he consistently kept his relationship with God. He repented, uh, he turned to God, he looked to God and, and that's why he became the king with a heart like God's or a heart after God. And I want to encourage you, God will do things for you that he might not do for others as he gets to know you more and more. There is, I'm going to finish with this, there is a prayer in the Bible from a guy called Jabez. Anybody of you heard of the prayer of Jabez? It became really big because it became a big book that people said, oh, if you pray like Jabez, then you'll have the same thing. That's a whole load of piffle, by the way. Um, because the prayer of Jabez was simply this. Jabez had a relationship with God. Now, it says in the text, it's only a small section, but it says that he suffered a lot. His mother suffered, his family suffered, and he said to God, oh God, I would like for the rest of my life never to suffer again. And God says, you know what? Granted. Comes through relationship. And I want to encourage you this morning, there are things that God will do for you that he will not do for other people because you know him. You are related to him. Let me give you one last example. It's the Apostle John. The Apostle John was noted for being the, the, the apostle, the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, he loved the others, but there was obviously a special connection between him and John. And John is the only disciple who wasn't martyred for his faith like the other disciples were. He suffered. He had hard times. But actually, there was something different about John because there's a relationship. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see that the Gospel of John talks far more about the intimacy and the love of Jesus than any of the other Gospels, because that's the relationship that he had. And so I want to encourage you this morning, it's time to come home. It's time to say, you know what, Jesus, I want that relationship. And to say, so how am I going to do it? I'm going to, in the next probably six months, I'm rejigging what I do on a Sunday in terms of preaching and teaching because I really feel God has challenged us to, to put a foundation in of things that we have not covered in the last 13 years and a lot of people don't even really know. Because we need to know how should we be living? What should our relationship be like with Jesus? What are the elementary things? In Hebrews, I was reading today and Paul said to the guys, you have forgotten the first things. You've forgotten the basic things and you need to go back to them. And we need to kind of walk in those things. But I want to encourage you this morning, if nothing else, set yourself aside 10, 15 minutes a day where you will read some of the Bible and just sit there with Jesus and share your heart with him. You know, if I said, oh, you've got a prayer thing, I don't know what to pray, just share your heart with him. Tell him how you're feeling. Tell him what you're worried about. 
you know, one of the things I love is, is I do that. There are so many things that I think, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to do Ralph's funeral? Man alive. Amazing guy. And I talk to Jesus about that. And I know I have confidence that Jesus will help me through. Why? Because a couple of weeks ago, I said, Lord, how am I going to do Sharon's funeral? But he helped me through. And, and that's what we do every morning. We get up and we read our Bible and he, he highlights some verses to us. And we say, Lord, how do I do this? And he says, just trust me. I'll give you the right strength you need to get through this. And what we find is we do that on a daily basis. We become different people. We become like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you today because you love us. I want to thank you because you're good and you're faithful. I want to thank you that your heart cry is, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to bless you. I want to be with you. I want to hear everything that's going on. And I want to give you whatever I have so that your life can be a full and abundant life. I just want to pray this morning that Jesus would help you. But I want to pray that you would have the intentionality and the determination to say, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to get to know him. And Lord, I pray that as I can just sense your presence here this morning, your amazing love, it's not, there's no condemnation here. It's just about his grace and helping us through. And I want to pray, you know, maybe the past you haven't done what you felt you should and you feel guilt. Well, just ditch all of that and say, I'm starting again. I'm starting fresh this morning. And Jesus, I want to pray that. I want to pray that for each one this morning. It's a fresh start. Just say, I'm going to read a few chapters a day and I'm going to talk to Jesus about what's on my heart. And you'll be amazed how you will grow to love him and how precious he will be to you. So Lord, I thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.